Holy crap. A new introduction to the podcast. But for real, though, the rest of it will come after this. I just want to thank you guys. Um, All the five-star ratings that we're getting on all the podcast apps is awesome. And I appreciate it when I hear people telling me that someone else told them about the podcast. So you guys rock. Uh, Listen to the commercials or skip by them. It's cool. And your episode's on its way. Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws... Well, they both look pretty badass, and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at AssaultLimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available. American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best kit secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3 eqip.com a3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion a lip balm a hair conditioner honestly anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3 eqip.com all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about Get squared away. Spiritual. Get squared away. Emotional. Get squared away. Mental. Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. We need to get we need to we need to evolve this perception versus reality topic because we are at an hour <laughs> and we mentioned it one. once. Um we can just take this and, and keep digging into this and then we'll just, you know, as the time fits, we'll just slowly evolve into um, the next topic and then we'll just cut this into two parts. But um, yes, let's 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 dig the, dig into this. Yeah, it's uh, and this ties into yeah the I was doing an operation uh, not that long ago and and I was asked the question is, uh, you know, why? Why do you have, you know, some of these guys that are, you know, I'm 51 years old, you know, running a, a crew that basically, you know, we need to run an operation once you have the, you know, the guys that just, you know, came out or just, you know, just trained it in it. And, and basically it's, well, because the guys that have experience in that reality. So in this case, it's the, the theater of combat, right? Um, when you have a lot of that experience in that theater, you're able to make 100% of your decisions based on reality because there's a risk factor. And unfortunately, in 
in combat, the risk is you're dead or alive. There's no like, well, you're 70% dead. No, it's either you're going to get, you know, shot to death or you're going to survive. So I have no, there's no tolerance. There's no um, gap for, you know, perception. You can't just perceive a situation. And the same thing with, you know, on the, on the medical side is like, you know, I was just talking about is like, yeah, there is a certain way that I have to administer an IV so that, that I can basically get the flow. I need to have the most efficient flow of blood either going out or I need to have efficient fluids going in. So you just can't say, well, I'm going to go to college and they're going to tell me, well, I'm going to go to medical school. And they tell me, well, you just stick the needle in like this, step one and step two, then you, you know, tape it down and you walk away. It's, it doesn't work that way. There's a why component, the reality why component to why you do everything. So do you understand or am I, uh, yeah, yeah, I understand. I was trying to, I was trying to, uh, take that and, and kind of flow it into the perception versus the reality or, or almost like what we talked about the, uh, realism versus idealism and the perception versus reality philosophy or, or, or idea that, that you're trying to break into is more like you you can perceive your current situation or you can truly understand your current reality. And if you perceive your situation as something that is not what your current reality is, you are damaging your ability to improve your situation because if you are a you know if you're in a, a horrible marriage and you are hating your job and you have two kids that have been raised like shit and have become assholes and it's you and your wife's fault um you can perceive yourself as being happy but five years from now, you are still going to be in that same fucked up situation or it will be worse mm -hmm. versus if you come to grips with your reality, you can start to break that situation down into its individual issues and you can come up with a plan of attack to improve those individual issues. So you can say, I am in a horrible marriage. Why am I in a horrible marriage? I don't connect with my wife anymore. Why don't I connect with my wife anymore? Well, I don't remember the last time we did something together. I don't even think she really likes me. Why doesn't she like me? Well, I'm kind of a fucking grumpy prick. Well, she's kind of a fucking bitch too. Well, wait, why is she a bitch? Well, she's probably a bitch because she works a full-time job and takes care of the entire fucking family household. Well, I come home and drink a 30 rack of fucking bush light. Um, so maybe. I should start drinking less. Maybe I should try to set up some dates. And did we ever actually love each other? Well, yes, I remember we did actually love each other. And she, it, she, at that point in time, she was actually an awesome human being. Okay, well, then I see a goal at the end of this topic versus the other side of that is realistically, did we ever actually love each other? You know what? I don't think we ever actually love each other. I got her knocked up after knowing her for three fucking months, and then we got married, and I don't even know who she is as an actual human being. Well, then the plan of attack there isn't go back and, and get back to where you were. The plan of attack there is, is 
you need to go and figure out if you even want to fucking be with this person for the rest of your life. But these are all plans of attack that come from being aware of your reality. And if you are only looking at your perception or you have your blinders on, um, you're never going to come up with that plan of attack. Yeah. Damn, it's uh, you sound like a three-page process map. I mean, that's basically that's basically, basically what, what, you're, it is. what you're doing. <laughs> and and then, you know, my next point after that, when we first started talking about how we're going to evolve this idea of perception versus reality, is then we get into the idealism versus realism. And I think that is one of those things where we need to start to look at the spectrum um, of realism versus idealism and you can be completely aware of your reality and i think the example i used earlier and the example i used when we were talking about this was a kid that comes from nothing right Mm -hmm. he doesn't know that it is possible for him to become anything he wants to become and he lives in the greatest fucking country in the in the in the world and with enough hard work and enough of the right people in his life he can become the biggest ball busting motherfucker that you you would ever know that has you know the the perfect life give or take right i'm going to say perfect life but nobody has a perfect life we all have room to improve but for the for the lack of or for the sake of argument let's say perfect life this kid's got no idea that that's even possible because as of right now he is a 14 year old kid who was born to a mother that didn't want him his father left his mother gets ripped up on weekends and and three nights a week and hangs out with a bunch of fucking losers and that's where his friend group has come from he's got a few good friends from school but he doesn't really like going to school and she doesn't make him go to school so he's not really that close with them right so you got this kid and this kid could have his reality but then also if this kid starts to follow some people like Gary V and he starts to listen to people talk like Tony Robbins and he starts to hear people like like um Kevin Hart talk about growing up with with nothing and becoming something and he starts to all of a sudden this starts to become an ideal right mm-hmm. and all of a sudden the idealism starts to grow in his mind like this little watered seed and he's like fuck man maybe i can get a good job well, how do I get a good job? Fuck, I'm going to have to start going to school. I fucking hate school. Well, why do I hate school? Well, I hate school because I'm fucking dumb. Why am I dumb? Because I don't try. Why don't I try? Well, I don't try because nobody believes in me. Well, there's that one fucking English teacher who always tried to help me. Maybe I'll go talk to her. Yeah. All right. I talked to her, and now she's going to help me get on the right track. She's going to hold me accountable, but she's a tough bitch. Man, I'm going to have to actually work my ass off. Well, that's what it's going to take. And then this slowly snowballs. So at that point, his idealism is improving his reality. But that doesn't change where he's at now. It just gives him the map to get to where he wants to be. No, I absolutely agree with that. It's just, um, you know, when we look at perception, if people just sit and stew in perception, I think that's where it evolves into, you know, somebody becoming, you know, neurotic. And those are the people that, you know, that's just everything is negative and then eventually evolves into what? Anxiety and depression, right? And knowing how, how you love the prefrontal cortex, 
So I, I've been doing I mean, studies. I don't love it. You you love it too. Everybody loves it. It's what makes <laughs> it's what makes us different from fucking animals. Oh, so sorry. Go ahead. The study of the prefrontal cortex, which you know, I think uh, you're more well versed than I am. But the but I have learned that it's like you know, in dealing with people that have anxiety. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what I'm getting from a lot of the, the medical studies I've been looking at. So the prefrontal cortex in in your brain in your little bucket up there with that piece of meat is anxiety and gratitude cannot coexist there. Right. You keep going. I got to think about that one. And, uh, so this is, yeah. So this is what I'm, I'm reading from a study. So anxiety and gratitude cannot, uh, you know, coexist there. So one of the biggest things to get out of anxiety is, you know, to start practicing gratitude. And like we had talked about in, multiple podcasts is start a gratitude journal because it's, it's kind of like going back to the, what we just talked about is, okay, how do we bring these you know, political parties together or even get humankind to just work together is to find, find what we all have in common. What's are the moral standards that we all agree to? Well, the thing is with getting out of that anxiety is to moving towards a more of a mindset of gratitude is like, Hey, you know, like you're saying, if you listen to Gary Vee, well, where do you start is, hey, I do have these skills. I do have these resources. You know, yeah, I may have not come from a family, maybe not had a mother and father or blah, 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 blah. All this stuff is in the past, but what do you have right now that you can work with? You know, I mean, you can start as like, hey, I got all my limbs. So physically, I'm able to do a lot of things. You know, I have a brain that I can learn. I, I can have resources. I can go to the library. I have people that I can talk to. So, oh, if I need if I need to understand more about this skill or develop it, I can talk to this person. And there's so much more when you get into that attitude of gratitude. But people I know that are just stuck on anxiety, um, the best thing to do is to get out of that just by, okay, well, start a gratitude journal. What things, what things can you be grateful for versus hanging on to, oh, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about not having this. I'm worried about people not thinking this about me. You know, fuck that and just be like, hey, this is who you are. It's kind of like what you're talking about, you know, the crazy lady with the frazzled hair and the black stripe up the middle, which I don't know. picture I have is probably not even close to what she looks like in real life, but um. All right, so I let me let me dig into this gratitude and and anxiety not being able to exist, right? So the way that I think the way that you're interpreting is a little bit off, but I understand what you're saying, and you're not off enough that your point doesn't make sense. Let's consider, um, let's consider it a 24 hour day as a race, okay? Yeah. So you need to run 24 miles, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's let's say that anxiety is walking. And gratitude is running. Okay. So out of that 24 miles, you can run the entire 24 miles. You can walk the entire 24 miles. Or you can do a little bit of both. Okay. But you can't run and walk at the same time. Right. Right. So that is what the idea of the same part of the brain that does anxiety can't do anxiety when you're being grateful. Okay. So you can. Be grateful for five minutes while you're thinking about gratefulness, and then you can be anxious. So we'll say five, you know, five tenths of a mile, and then you can be anxious for the other 23 miles and five tenths of a mile. Okay. 
or you can be grateful for five tenths of a mile every mile in the 24 miles. So that would be half of your time you're running and for the, you know, half of an hour of each 24 hours of the day, you can be grateful and you can be more grateful than you are anxious. That is, that is the idea behind gratefulness and anxiety, not being able to exist. The more, the more energy we give gratefulness and the more time that we give gratefulness, the less energy and the less time we're giving anxiety. Or the more time we're running during that 24-mile race, the less time we're walking. Because we're covering a mile is a mile, whether we're running it or we're walking it. And if we're running it, that's our gratefulness. That's our, our, our much better choice for that mile versus the walking it, which is our anxiety. So that is, that's the idea behind if you give more energy and spend more time being grateful, yeah. you have less time and less energy invested into being anxious. You still can be an anxious person even if you have a gratefulness practice. It's just going to be giving less time to being anxious. And if you have a gratefulness practice that you're regularly doing, it's going to remind you about the things that you are more grateful for throughout the day, not just that five minutes that you spend doing it at night. Well, let me, okay, I'll go to that study. So the study was based in 2004. The Robert Emmons and Michael McCullough did a study on gratitude and its effect uh, against anxiety. They recorded their findings in a book called, the, quote, The Little Book of Gratitude. So within the research, they found the gratitude lessens stress, you know, like you're talking about. It's kind of like a scale, right? Yep. But after conducting an experiment, the participants who practiced gratitude showed a reduction in the level of cortisol, which is known as a stress hormone. So their conclusion is, however, the most profound thing revealed in this study was that not only does gratitude lessen stress, but gratitude and anxiety cannot exist in the brain at the same time. Therefore, a possible solution to when we feel anxious is practicing gratitude. So I did not, that sentence that you just said makes zero fucking sense, whoever wrote that, because they, they focused on a, a conclusion from the study without giving the actual way that they came to the conclusion. It's fine. I understand. But whoever wrote that wrote it piss poor. So, cause they don't actually say how they came to that conclusion. They just said that they came to that conclusion. Yeah. So it's a, almost a cliff note level. Yeah. But, um, you know, and that's where they go into within the little book of gratitude, the, Oh, here's ways to practice, you know, in everyday life. And first, you know, the number one was the gratitude journal, which we talked about, right? Yep. Right in every, every morning and every night and tell your friends and family you love them and specify reasons for why you're thankful for them. Three, start a photo diary of things you're thankful for. Next one is compliment others and grant positive recognition to others. Next one is when you begin to think negative thoughts, find one thing to be grateful for in that moment. And lastly, is say thank you for the little things. So the, 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 the thinking of something to think of positively in that moment that would be an example of cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, that a psychologist or psychiatrist would, would put you on that practice if you um, were trying to do a non-drug intervention, intervention for something like depression or anxiety. The that tip. would be an exact example of, a, of, of CBT. And that's the tip of the scales, right? Yeah. Anxiety. Yeah. Basically, it's, it's, it's creating a practice, you know. It's, it's um, for the lack of a better example, it's learning to stop at a stop sign. You know, if, if you never knew what a stop sign was and you just got in a car 
I mean, you guess you wouldn't be able to fucking drive, but you just got in a car and you were driving, you would never know to stop at that stop sign versus after you've learned to stop at that stop sign, you are always going to stop at stop signs and it's going to stop you from getting fucking hit, you know? Um, well, well, yeah. And that's, those are all great examples of things that you can do. Um, but with, with, with the gratitude thing, it really is more about the practice. Yeah. Um, than it is about, I'm just a grateful person, you know? Exactly. And that's just, uh, you know, gratitude gets you grounded and that's where it helps keeps you in, you know, state of reality too. And I think that this is a, this is a perfect time to kind of lean this into the learning because that, that, that practice, right. The, Mm -hmm. the, the, the importance of that gratitude practice is the same reason that the importance of deliberate practice is when it comes to learning things, because that's what, that's what this podcast topic was, was really about is, is how to learn things and what learning really is. So I use the example of throwing a baseball. And first off, um, like you said, with the understanding the why of the phlebotomist, right, is we have to understand what's going on in the background before we can understand how to implement and improve better ways of learning. Yeah, that's a great point. But can we take a small break because my back teeth are starting to float? Your back teeth are floating? Oh, let's take a pause break. Let's drop 10 pounds. All right, we're back. We're back. A little pee break. Um, but so what I was, what I was saying before, before Martin started to tell me about his, his teeth is, uh, we have to understand what's happening before we can start to improve it. And I used the phlebotomist example that he had, but, um, the way that I broke it down in my notes was throwing a baseball, um, because this is really easy for you. Most people, some people are completely ambidextrous. Can you throw a baseball with your left hand? Unfortunately, yes. You can? Yes, I'm ambidextrous. Oh my god, you animal! I can't. Oh, I look. My like kid a, thinks that's a most amazing thing. It is. I look like a fucking absolute dork trying to throw with my left hand, and I, and I do it once in a while just to remind myself. But I really like the example of 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 throwing a baseball because you can you can line up and you can throw yeah. a baseball with your right hand, and it feels completely natural. Yeah. And then you can line up and try to throw a baseball with your left hand, and nothing works right. Really? So no, fuck no, nothing works. Even right. if you mentally step yourself through that, you have to reverse. Yeah, what no, you're doing no. Mirror what you're my doing. body, my body is not myelinated those fucking signals, those circuits wow. yet. So, what's going on in the brain when we decide that we're going to throw a ball? Right, first, the prefrontal cortex makes the decision and starts to plan the action and sets the goals for the task. Then the motor cor- cortex, located behind the brain's frontal lobe starts to control the involuntary movements. It receives the signals from the prefrontal cortex that says, hey, we're going to throw this ball, and it starts to plan the sequence of the muscle contractions needed. So it starts to plan how it's going to do it. And then the visual processing comes from the visual cortex, and it starts to think about the ball's weight, the location, the distance, the target that we're trying to throw at, and it all comes from the eyes. And then the spatial awareness comes from the parietal lobe, that helps with the hand-eye coordination, and it starts to integrate the visual information and understand the spatial relationships, and it relays all that information to the motor cortex so that the motor cortex can make start to do its job. And our body's proprioception, the ability to sense its position and movement in space, so a really good way to understand what proprioception is is stand up on one foot and lean down and touch your toe. 
you can do that. Now stand up on one foot, close your eyes, and try to lean down and touch your toe. It's completely different. So that is your proprioception. Without your visual cortex and the way that it sorts of senses your, your movement in space, you lose a, a, a ton of your coordination and a ton of your um, balance. And then at this point, the motor cortex starts to send signals to the relevant muscle groups involved in throwing motion. The muscles include the shoulder, you know, right, the shoulder, deltoid, arm, all the all the muscles that have to do with it, and then the cerebellum, located at the brace base of the brain, um, starts to coordinate timing and smoothness of movements. It fine tunes the muscle activity, ensuring for the the, the motion is well timed and accurate. Your balance and your posture, um, all of this comes from all of these uh, cor- the different cortexes, the different parts of the brain. The release, the follow through, and then the feedback and adjustment through the entire process. The brain continuously receives feedback from various sensory systems, such as a visual feedback and trajectory of the ball, right? It can see that you threw it too high, too low, too far right, too far left, and then it starts to adjust for this. Um, and then after that, the, the, the cognitive processing happens, which apart from the physical aspects of throwing the ball involves cognitive processing, like estimating the force needed, blah, blah, blah. So. This is that that in the brain, that is what happens when you decide you're going to throw a ball. Now you say, Paul, why the fuck do I give a shit what happens about when I want to throw a ball? Because if we start to break down those individual systems, just like in my example earlier, uh, I think it was on this this episode, right? This is going to be two episodes. So if I start to call back to last episode, don't get fucking mad at me. But just like the example of the dude who is perceiving his his reality versus actually realizing his reality once we understand what's happening we can start to break these things down and figure out how to improve them so um first there's the nerves right and and the way that nerves function in here is the nerve um processing the the throwing of the ball the sensory input the feelings um the visual cortex process everything this is all this is all nerves um, it, it, the nerves are how we plan and how we send all of the muscles, the, all the signals to activate, you know, the, the muscle the right way. And if you don't understand how a muscle works, there's millions of little fibers inside a muscle and the nerve tells that muscle how to fire, when to fire, how hard to fire. And it tells all these things. So when we understand all of these things, then we can start to figure out how to learn these things. Now, the way that I got into this entire topic was I started learning about myelin, um, which myelin is a fatty, t- fatty tissue that insulates similar to how a, a, a insulation works on an electrical wire. But almost the best way that I like to think about myelin after learning about it is if you had water in a bucket, right? Mm-hmm. And I had it here and I wanted to get it to your neighbor's deck right there. I could try to throw it. And some of the water is going to end up from my bucket to your neighbor's deck, right? Yeah. Myelin would be like a garden hose that I can directly send the water at a certain amount of force. I can send it exactly where I want it. And that's what myelin does to the nerve fibers. Once we myelinate a nerve or the nerves that are involved in something like throwing a ball, it then makes it so everything functions smoother it functions at perfect timing, it functions better, and those myelinated circuits, unless you have a disease that demyelinates them, you basically have those circuits at all times, and it's just it's just retraining them to fire properly. If you haven't thrown a ball in 20 years, 
you're still going to know how to throw a ball with that arm. It's you're just going to have to relearn how to fire properly and throw correctly, but you're still not going it's not going to be like me trying to teach my left hand to throw a ball. Yeah. Right. So in in this process, you could teach yourself your left hand to throw a ball. Yes. Yes, exactly. So this is, this is where we get now here. Um, once we have learned how this functionally works, then we can start to think about how we are going to, uh, teach ourselves. So if I wanted to teach myself to throw a ball with the left hand, right. Um, then we start to get into the, 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 the steps of learning and the steps of learning is going to be for a complex movement like this is going to be the initial attempt at the beginning. When you first attempt to throw a ball, your brain's prefrontal cortex initiates the decision to perform the action. It sends the signals to the motor cortex. Um, but the signals are, are really weak and they're not myelinated. They're not developed. So I'm going to throw that ball. I'm just not going to throw it anywhere near as well as I can throw it with my right arm, which all of those circuits are built and all those circuits are myelinated. So then we need to practice. And that's where the motor skill practice comes in. With repeated practice, the brain starts forming and reinforcing specific neural pathways. With the throwing motion, these pathways connects, consist of synapses, um, which are the connection between neurons that carry the electrical signals responding to the coordinating muscle movements. Um, we're going to practice that. We're going to build stronger connections. So we're not just going to build new connections. Once we build those new connections, we're going to strengthen those connections. This is kind of like if you think of that garden hose example, we started with like a really loosey goosey kind of shitty noodle, right? And we're going to build up that, that the, the strength of that garden hose we're going to make that garden hose longer we're going to give better control to the end of that garden hose so that we can get the water from here to right where we want it and that's where the myelin comes in and once we've myelinated those circuits um then they are going to be there forever the same thing works whether it's learning a motor skill or it's learning something like a language and um those are still functioning the same way our brain does all these things the same way it's just different parts of the brain different cortexes different areas in the brain um that involve like the language centers are going to be involved which are the i'm not even going to try to pronounce these areas the the Bracus area the wernicke's area these are all part parts of the of the language activation center and these parts of the brain um, will be activated and they'll, they'll learn new electrical signals and those electrical signals will be myelinated. And those would be, those will be another garden hose. Those will be a garden hose coming off the other side of the house to spray the other neighbor's deck. This is a really shitty example with the garden hose, but it works. <laughs> um, and this is even as in depth as something like building a business because building a business is what would be a ton of different small myelinated electrical circuits that we then go ahead and put together. And this would be like playing a baseball game versus just being able to throw a baseball. And this would be, we've built and myelinated the circuitry to throw the ball, the circuitry to catch the ball, the understanding of the game, which is more circuitry, the, um, spatial awareness with other people and all the different things that go into playing a baseball game would be something, a a bigger, higher, um, tax tactic, like building a business. And so that you would go through and do the same thing. Now, 
what I really, really, really wanted to focus on, which is why I totally rushed through all of that. So if you need to slow that down or even don't give a shit about it, whatever, is this is where the actual ability to learn comes in. And, and the way that I was introduced to this idea of deliberate practice and myelinating neural circuits was in the beginning of the book, um, The Talent Code where these the talent code where these myelinated myelination scientists are explaining a video of a girl practicing her clarinet right and you got it right there look at there there it is martin's got it right here and daniel coyle he's the the this scientist who is trying to explain the myelination of circuits puts on this YouTube video and he even, he talks about the video. He even names the video. This is just a random, you know, 12, 13 year old girl that's practicing her clarinet, but she has no idea that what she's doing is the most deliberate form of practice. And what this involves is, is she's going and she's playing, she's learning to play a song, but instead of just having 20 minutes or 30 minutes of, all right, Hey, go in your room and practice this song. What she does is she sits down and she reads the first two notes and she plays one note and then transitions to the another note. And it kind of sounds tacky. It kind of sounds choppy. It doesn't sound smooth. It doesn't sound good. So she stops and she starts out again and she goes from note one to note two and then does it again. And it gets a little smoother each time. And then she goes note one to note two to note three, note one, note two, three, four, five. Oop, it kind of got shitty there again. So she starts back at one. And he said, he's like, this girl has no idea what she's doing in this video is the most beautiful, deliberate practice that anyone can do. But then the funny thing is, is five minutes later, she goes to a different song and she practices it a totally different way. And she, and she is not doing anything the right way that she's supposed to. So it's not like this girl's a prodigy. She just, at this one point in this video, he's using it at this amazing example of how to build and myelinate your circuitry. So. The steps to doing this is break down the skill. So whether we're talking about throwing a ball with our left hand, we're going to break down that skill and identify the specific components of the skill that we want to improve. So if we're going to throw a ball, right, it's, I don't have to think about stepping forward with my left foot, bringing my arm back, following through and pointing where I want the ball to go. I don't have to think about any of that with my right hand, but with my left hand, and this is what you asked, Martin, is I have to start and break this skill down into the exact movements. So where should my feet start? Mm -hmm. What foot should I step forward with? How far should I step forward? What should I do with my waist at this point in time? My core, should I twist left? Should I twist right? What do I do with my arm? What do I do with my elbow? What do I do with my wrist? How do I hold the ball? These are all the individual tiny movements. And I could sit there and just throw a ball with my left hand 500 times or what I could do is break down each of those individual movements and do them until they feel correct. And so we're going to set specific goals. We're going to define clear and achievable goals that focus on the specific components, right? So I want to have my right foot step forward and have it feel just as natural as when I'm twisted the other way and the balls in my right hand, my left foot does, right? Yep. So we're going to, we're going to keep, we're going to do that a hundred times, 500 times, whatever it is to, to build that circuit and myelinate that circuit. This whole process is the exact same thing that Josh Waskins tries to teach us 
in The Art of Learning, which Josh Waitzkin, if you guys don't know, um, he was the focus of the movie Searching for the Next Bobby Fischer. He was a childhood chess prodigy who he's not a prodigy when it comes to being able to play chess. He is a prodigy when it comes to deep practice. He understood without anyone ever having to teach him what deep practice is and how to myelinate those, those neuron connections. And what he did after he became a childhood chess prodigy is he decided that he walked into a push hands dojo in downtown, I think it was downtown New York one day, and he decided he wanted to learn push hands, which push hands from what I understand is kind of like a, a, a pushing, um, striking martial art that is big in Thailand, but it's not necessarily like a martial martial art. It's more like, I don't know, Taekwondo or one of those where it's like, yeah, it's more like it's a form versus a, yeah, you know, going out and kicking somebody's ass. So not only does the same kid that becomes a, 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 an international chess prodigy, he also becomes a world push hands champion as a teenager. So this right here, this, these aren't things where you're like, oh, of course the chess kid also invented this app, right? These are two totally different things, but what do they have in common? They have in common the myelination of these circuits. They have in common this deliberate practice. So we're going to break down the skill. We're going to set specific goals, and then we're going to get feedback, and we're going to self-assess. So we're going to get feedback from experts. We're going to get feedback from coaches, but we're also going to sell And this doesn't really work in the throwing a ball situation, but the self-assessment works in the throwing a ball situation. Did that movement feel natural when I stepped forward? Did my shoulder snap back properly when I went to throw? Did I follow through? What did my follow through look like? And we're going to self-assess. And here's where the big, big thing comes in is we are going to create a structured practice routine that is designed around myelinating those circuits. It is designed to practice the routine and includes deliberate practice sessions regularly, deliberate practice on each of those individual skills. So if we're talking about something like push hands or we're talking, talking about something like learning a new language, what that deliberate practice looks like is we are going to work on three words until we completely understand those words. We can say those words out of nowhere we can use those words in a sentence and we're going to myelinate those circuits before we move on to another three words or five words or 10 words or whatever you're trying to do. Um, you're going to challenge yourself, which means pushing beyond your limits. You're not just going to learn the three easy, easiest words every week. You're going to learn harder words. You're going to then go back and practice the three words from last week and the three words from the week before. And you are going to be consistent. Now, what does that consistency mean? If it's throwing a ball, we're going to do it, you know, every day for 20 minutes when we, when we leave the house or not even 20, we're going to do it every day for five minutes before we leave the house in the morning to go to work. And we're going to consistently do it over and over and over and over because myelination is not like you go buy a garden hose. Myelination is, is you are building that garden hose layer by layer by layer. And those layers are all saran wrap thin and you need to put another layer on it and then put another layer on it and put another layer on it and put another layer on it until all of a sudden we have hundreds of thousands of layers of saran wrap that are are that garden hose they are that nerve 
fiber, that neural connection that means that you throw the ball just as good with your left hand as your right hand. Or it means you can walk into an Italian restaurant and speak fluent Italian with the waiter. Or it means that you can build that business that you've wanted to build. It does not matter whatever the thing is that you want to learn. This same step-by-step instruction manual can be used for anything. Tap out. I think I got it all out in 20 minutes. Wow. Now my jaw's tired. How's your jaw? Jeez. Yeah, a little little tired. So so that and, and the reason I wanted to get that out is because people do not understand that when you are trying to do something, it doesn't matter how big the task is. The big task is just made up of little things. And you have to focus on the little things to get the task done. It's like have you ever have you ever buffed a car? Right? Yep. So, what makes a car look not you know not perfect? Minor imperfections. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of minor imperfections. How do you do that? You focus on each imperfection and you get each little spot off. It doesn't matter if it's a full fucking full car, you're still focused on each minor imperfection. Or it doesn't matter if it's playing a baseball game versus learning to throw a ball. It's still all minor tasks so when you were learning uh a sport remember when you were a kid and they were like we're going back to the basics yep every fucking practice should have had 20 minutes of back to the basics it's the same thing that we heard about with the guy talking about kobe bryant right you remember when i talked about i don't even remember what that book what book that's from but he was yeah. he was going to meet kobe at four in the morning for a practice and kobe was already worked up and he looked like a high school practice and he's like man why are you the best basketball player in the business right now? Why the hell are you, you know, working on all your little basic shit? And he's like, why do you think I am the best basketball player in the business right now? Because I work on my basic shit. Yeah, I mean, that's the same way. I mean, those people that are rolling in jujitsu um, and even this, this push hands, which I have seen a lot and I should know more about because it it's actually Chinese based. It's a really exercise. good it's a really good book if you guys want to want to read or listen to Art of Learning. He it's his story but then he also builds in this whole idea of deliberate practice. Yep. Um but he gets like he's in I think it's Thailand, isn't it? Yeah, he's in Thailand. He's yeah. in Thailand and gets completely screwed because it is not a fair environment over there. They want they want people from Thailand to be the champions. They do not want Americans to come in and beat people and he ends up getting the championship with all the odds stacked up against him. Yeah. But I mean it's, it's a beautiful form. I mean for those that have seen like, you know, Asian movies where there's two people and they're basically this beautiful form of hands to hands and it looks like they're they're not attacking. There's no strikes in it. It's just it actually is can be used for a defense, but it's just it it's artistic to put it put it bluntly so and there's like eight different moves but um it's it's a lot of muscle memory and a lot of what you're saying is you know myelination um but yeah to think that you're gonna go in and you know be a champ in like a year is not not something it's something you really got to work on so i mean when you're talking about this i mean i think about how a lot of guys started gosh when i was little basketball was the big thing because you know michael jordan was big thing in my you know era oh yeah and the huge 
lesson I learned that, you know, coaches told you is, you know, you have to know how to do a layup, uh, a left-handed layup. Cause all the kids first thing they would do, most of the kids are right-handed Yep. and they just want to do right-handed layup. So you're on a break, but what do they do? You're on the left side. They try to work their way to the right side. Well, it doesn't work because the defense will rotate that way. So it, it just took kids to stand there after school, after practice to also just do, you know, you got to do 10 to the right, 10 to the left. Then you do 20 to the right, 20 to the left. And you're a kid thinking, okay, I jump off my, the hardest thing is going off the correct foot. Yep. So when you do a right-handed layup, you go off to the left foot. When you do a left-handed layup, you got to go off the right foot. And then you have to, you know, stretch your, your lat so that you can get your left hand up on the left-hand layup just as much as you do on the right. And it feels super awkward, but you get done doing hundreds and hundreds of them a day. And if you don't, on the off season, if you don't keep practicing it, by the time you get back, uh, you know, to the next season, all of a sudden you lose it. So it's um, yeah, it's it's huge training your body, neurologically and physically to do those things. And shooting is the same way. Um, and I was just telling the some of the people too. It's like, man, if you know, we always talk about the gear guys. And they oh, yeah. always got all this fancy shit. They got yep. the lasers and infrareds and all that. On there, if if you look at you know, um, look at mine. I, I have like an all-purpose, and the all-purpose I think is the one that uh, you put together, Paul. Oh, and yep, yep. That's ex. That's actually my favorite one. And you know, when you look at it, it's like, gosh, I don't have any fancy shit from the, um, you know, our local store. It's I have a rubber band on it, or two rubber bands on it that have a tourniquet on there, and people ask why it's. For me, it's functional because if I get into a firefight, what's the first thing I think of as a as a corpsman is shit. I'm probably going to get shot, and if I get shot, I need to take care. I don't want to bleed out. So, and then you look at this other, you know, piece of adhesive I taped on to um, the top of the stock. What is that? Well, muscle memory is great, but a lot of times I need a reference to where to put my cheek. Right. So if I want consistency, I got to put my cheek in the same spot every time. So me being a dumbass and getting old, you know, for me, I just need to tape a spot of reference so that I know where to put my cheek. So I got more of that tape and rubber band shit on my gun than I have on basically uh, all the tech shit and lasers and, you know, magnifiers on there. So, you know, that's sometimes overlooked. Yeah, that fucks me up when I go to a different gun. Like when I grab, um, uh, I have a little CMMG nine millimeter, um, that does not have the pistol brace on it. If the ATF is listening, um, I took that off cause it's illegal currently. Um, so when I grab that, like, yes, it's an AR platform, but stuff is just a little bit functionally different. And it, it, I have to like, think about it. It fucks me up. Yeah. Completely fucks me up. Yep. It's fine. I, 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 I get it again, but everything is just a little bit different. Yeah. And that, that's when you talk to, when you talk to operators, it's like, these are guys that are not going to have a whole library of, uh, you know, firearms that they're going through because why it's when you've been in that reality, it's the repetition. It's the, okay, this is my all purpose that I use, or this is my you know, long range that I use, but I need to be consistent with it. So in order to be consistent is I use the same one every time. And that's what gives you the consistency because 
yeah, when the shit hits the fan, you're not going to be able to pull, you know, five or six or seven of them and be fully efficient with all of them unless that's all you do all day long. So, um, that's because your circuits are myelinated. Because you've been doing to it that original all. one. Oh, the original one. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Correct. So, yeah. Um, I think, you know, as we're sitting here talking about this, I think that this is, and we say it all the fucking time and you guys are probably so sick of fucking hearing it, but it's like, if you want to get better, you want to get, you want to work on being squared away. What does it mean? It means breaking each one of those pillars down to the smallest actionable task that you can improve and then focus on improving each one of those. So that means in the physical pillar, that means breaking that down to your regular daily output. Also your workout, also your diet, also your supplementation, also your sleep, right? And how can we improve each one of those individually instead of just being like, yeah, I work out, bro. Yeah. Well you work out and then you sit at a fucking desk all day. You don't get more than 500 more steps and you eat like shit and you sleep like shit. So great, good, you work out. Congratulations. Work on all of those things. If it's your mental, you know, if, if it's your mentality, your mental pillar, we're gonna break that down to how can I think better? How can I improve my base of knowledge? How can I surround myself with people that stretch me mentally? It's all these different things. It's the same with emotional, it's the same with spiritual, right? Even spiritual, yep. it's not just do I need to go to church? No, fuck that. It's everything. It's am I working towards a higher power? Am I doing things that I believe in? These are all part of that pillar. And each one of us knows, and this is the fucking, this is the funniest thing. If somebody walks up to you and they say, I just want to get in better shape or I just want to get smarter or I just want, to feel better mentally and emotionally. You can ask them, be like, well, what do you think you need to do? They fucking know. Yeah. They know. How yeah. do you do it? Break it down to the smallest task, build the habits, myelinate the circuits. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, every successful business, every successful uh, deployment or operation, that's how it starts is you're in these meetings. And, um, yeah, to go beyond the, the four pillars, using these examples of business and using examples of uh, operational deployment is you go into meetings, what do they do? They look at the current situation. So this is the situation, this is the deployment, this is the mission, this is the goal we want to hit. But what do we do in the meeting is we list out, here's all the variables that we have to deal with or encounter. And for all of these variables, okay, which are the low-hanging fruit? So we can take care of the low-hanging fruit pretty easily. And the rest of it is um, if you've ever used a Gantt chart, if you haven't used a Gantt chart, it lists. Basically, a Gantt chart is used by project managers, project managers, leaders, squad leaders. And it lists out, okay, here's all of the projects, the low-hanging fruit. We're going to put a shorter timeline on it. And here's the variables that are going to take more time. and these are variables that depend on the other variables are complete. And you see this Gantt chart laid out to, hey, these are all these little chunks. These are all these little steps that need to happen for this whole operation to succeed. 
So same thing like, uh, you know, Paul's talking about with diet or not diet, I'm sorry, physical is diet is one of the variables and there's all kinds of things underneath that. And, you know, physical uh, exertion is one of the other variables and there's all kinds of items beneath that. So it's what we always talk about. It's a journey, a journey of a lot of steps to complete that marathon. So, um, you know, just go back to all of our previous podcasts and pile it on. It's, it's how you learn. It's how you, uh, do the, what our new term is myelination. Myelination, myelinate your tribe. <laughs> I, that, doesn't, that doesn't even fucking work, but I had to, you try had to it. throw the tribe in I there. I had to try it. I had to try it. Um, I mean, I think, I think we got, we got the gist of, of learning. The biggest thing is guys is, is think of your life or think of your task that you're trying to learn. Think of your business. You're trying to build whatever we're talking about when we start to think of it, think of it like a big thing that's built up of a lot of little things. And if you don't focus on those little things and you just slap those little things together to try to build the big thing, the big thing's going to be a piece of shit. Yeah. Focus on the little focus on laying each brick perfectly focus on learning each individual task. Excellently focus on your marketing break that down into the smallest aspect if you're trying to build a business you're focusing on the product break that down to the smallest individual part of of the product that you can improve you focus on on your accounting for your business break that down into each of the different accounting umbrellas and how can you improve each one individually it's all one big thing made up of a lot of little things. And if we don't focus on the little things and we only focus on the big things, then we're just making a lot of really shitty big stuff. Yeah. And that's, it's all part of the process. And so many people I've talked to recently is just, you know, no matter what we say, sometimes there's always a response of like, well, okay, what about this? Or, you know, can I take this pill will solve all, or, you know, if I just, uh, what if I just do this one technique and usually it only addresses one of the items, one of the variables. So, you know, sometimes it's just, yeah, you have to like going back is you gotta, there's a patient component to it is you have to have patience and persevere and take it, like I said, every little thing at a time. I mean, it's kind of eating an elephant, right? How to eat an elephant. One bite at a time, brother. Yep. That's a wrap. <laughs>